pursuing the truth, living in love. Veritas is a grassroots network of Catholic young adults growing together in Christ. For more information or to see a schedule of Veritas events, visit catholicveritas.com. That's catholicveritas.com. Today's podcast features a Monk's Celery event with Aaron Rose. Aaron is a lifelong Catholic and a Knight of Columbus. Due to the grace of God and the generosity of the parishioners in the Diocese of Sacramento, Aaron holds a degree in philosophy from Mount Angel Seminary in Oregon and a degree in sacred theology from the Angelicum in Rome. In this episode, Aaron discusses Our Lady's apparitions in Fatima, her call to conversion, her warnings of cultural attacks on the family, and what each of us can do to bring about the world peace promised in her messages. Fatima is ultimately a message of hope. In this Eastertide, let us be sure to fully embrace this call. Let's tune in. All right, everybody, welcome. Uh, tonight's going to be a great night. Our speaker here tonight is going to be so amazing that he's going to be introduced by a priest <laughs> who, who I'm hoping will be our speaker for next month. So uh, please give a big round of applause first to your favorite priest, Father Brian Sullivan. Well, thank you, John. I don't know how many know, but he's, they're expecting a fourth child. Praise the Lord. And so let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father of all, we praise and we thank you for all the many gifts you have given us, especially the gift of our Blessed Mother. And on this feast of Our Lady of Fatima, we call upon her intercession upon us gathered here. That through her intercession, the Holy Spirit may enliven our speaker, and enliven our hearts so that we may receive the, what you want to re, what you want to give to all of us. May we bear the call of Our Lady of Fatima and live it out through our lives and to remain joyful in the resurrected Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, as we pray together. Hail Mary. Holy Lord, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, welcome everybody. I'm excited and what an honor to present to you our speaker. Uh, I first met Aaron when we uh, when I first applied to the Diocese of Sacramento. So I'm a priest for Sacramento, and in 2004, Aaron and I were the only two men at that type of, that particular time to join the diocese. And so we go back all the way back then when we first started out our, our journey. And in 2004, Aaron literally picks me up from my parents' house in El Grove and we drive all the way to Oregon, Portland, Oregon, where uh, we have our seminary there. And so we drove eight hours there and then of course, when eight, eight hours, what do you do? You just chat and talk, right? And when, right when we get to the seminary, so after an eight hour drive, we arrive, we park our car, and I thought, okay, I'll just go straight to my room, start unpacking. Aaron says, no, let's go to the chapel. I said, oh, uh, okay, let's go to the chapel then. After eight hours of drive, can I just go to the bathroom first? <laughs> so we literally just, he just, 
And at, at that time period, I was just starting to grow in my faith. And so the fact that he wanted to go to the chapel first, right when we were having the seminar, I said, okay, fine, you're a weird Catholic, let's go to the chapel and pray. <laughs> and so we just, the first thing we do, we arrive at Mount Angel Seminary, and we go to that beautiful chapel, and right in front of the tabernacle, and we just pray for the next 10 minutes. And then we go back to our rooms, and we start that process. So Aaron and I were at Mount Angel together for about two years, and then I was a year ahead of him, and so I was sent off to Rome. And Aaron, a year later, would join me in Rome, and we would spend the next couple of years there. And we had the great pleasure of traveling to Fatima together. And whenever I would talk with Aaron about Our Lady Fatima, because to, to be honest, I don't know too much about Our Lady Fatima. All I know is all, all about the crazy stuff, you know, the apparitions, the, uh, the predictions, and the kids, how the kids saw the people in hell. I was like, oh, cool, people are in hell. It's amazing, right? <laughs> and so Aaron would just go off on Our Lady Fatima. And so he knew all the little details that, to be honest, I just didn't have the time to go into. And so when John asked me to do this talk, I said, I don't know much about Lady Fatima, I'm, I'm too busy. And, but Aaron, I said immediately, he knows his stuff. And what a great topic, especially today on the feast of Our Lady Fatima, who on this day 102 years ago, Our Lady appeared. And especially in our, in our time period where the the title of this talk is The Family at War. And we know the family is taking a lot of hits nowadays. So I think how appropriate it is to have this topic now. And so it was a great honor to introduce to you my friend. Uh, he has since discerned out of formation, but he's still a solid Catholic man serving the Lord in whatever path the Lord is leading him now. And so please welcome your speaker tonight, Aaron Rose. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Everyone hear me okay? Yes. All right. Um, so Father Brian and I, we, my, my version of that story is uh, being told it would be great to carpool with a friend of mine who is going to be a brother, future brother. So I go and pick him up at his parents' house, and we drive. I forgot about that visit to the chapel, though. That was, yeah, I did do that. <laughs> Um, I'm proud to know Father Brian. Um, I study with him. I've seen him grow into the priest that he now is. Um, as he said, he was just starting out. He was learning a lot. And in seminary, it's some people, I, I would say probably maybe the majority of people do discern out, maybe over half, um, if you count everywhere, you know, all around the world. But um, God calls who he does, and he called me there, and the bishop decided I should go a different direction. And I also believe that the church speaks, has a role, has a role to play in who she ordains. You know, so it's the person and the Lord and also the church. So there's three parties involved in every vocation. When we journeyed to Fatima, uh, I also experienced, you know, some places you go, you feel, wow, I feel at peace here, you know. And when I was in Fatima, it was a different sort of feeling that I felt. And not to get too mushy, but it was sort of like not foreboding, but a, a feeling of I need to do more. You know, I'm not doing enough. I'm not growing in my faith enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing enough penance in the sense of cooperating with the grace of God enough. So I started to really investigate Fatima and 
the more you look into Our Lady of Fatima, it's a message of hope, but it's also a message, a message of warning for the world and the church at large. Because if you read about the apparitions and you read about what happens, you know, it could go a couple different ways, right? So first of all, who knows why did Our Lady appear at Fatima? There actually is a reason why Our Lady appeared at Fatima. And if you remember what was going on in 1917, World War I, right? Who was the Pope at the time? It was Pope Benedict XV. And Pope Benedict XV, he actually prayed for peace and he asked Our Lady to provide an answer. He, he, he prayed for an end to the war, essentially, okay? And if I remember, I'm, I'm not good at dates, but I know it was in May of 1917. I think it was exactly nine days later where Our Lady appeared the first time on May 13th at Fatima. So in a sense, the Queen of Heaven is answering the prayer of her son's vicar, the vicar of Christ. And so that means God is answering the prayer of his vicar and giving the world the answer to peace. And I'm firmly convinced of this, that it is only through Our Lady of Fatima and accomplishing what she asked us to that this period of peace that was prophesied will actually take place. Um, some people speculate that the fall of um, uh, Russia in the late 1980s was a partial fulfillment of that. Um, you can argue that in a certain way, but I think the period of peace that, that was prophesied at Fatima we're not there yet. It hasn't happened yet. Um, I started thinking about um, what Pope John Paul II said when he visited Fatima. So for, first of all, you'll find objections to why should we even believe in the apparitions? You know, isn't it just private revelation? And, you know, generally speaking, a Catholic is free to ignore that if it doesn't have um, a bearing on your salvation, right? So if it's private revelation, it's not public revelation, it's not part of the deposit of faith, you know, you can take it or you can leave it, but you shouldn't despise it if the church approves of it. But generally speaking, you know, a Catholic would be free in that case to, to believe or disbelieve without any kind of sin, right? But the, the situation changes if it's part of prophecy and if it's especially a fulfillment of biblical prophecy which I think it's, it's possible that Fatima, the living out of the Fatima message, how, however it shakes out, could possibly be a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Um, Pope John Paul II, when he addressed, uh, it, he gave a homily on May 13, 1982, when he was there, he said, the message of Fatima is addressed to every human being. So he says, every human being, not just Catholics. That means the prophecy and whatever fork it takes, whether it's the period of peace or whether it's the, the heirs of Russia spreading throughout the world and the nations being annihilated, will involve every human being in one way or another. And it, in its essence, it will involve our salvation. Whether or not we apply the message of Our, Fat, our Lady of Fatima in our lives will in one way or another affect our salvation and the salvation of those around us. Uh, speaking at Fatima also, Pope Benedict XVI in 2010, he said this. He deceives himself 
who thinks that the prophetic mission of Fatima is concluded. So there are some people that say, oh, Fatima's all in the past. All you need to do now is pray and do penance. But everything else prophetic-wise of Fatima is, is, is ended. Well, Pope Benedict disagrees. In 2010, he said so. What is this prophetic mission? Nothing less than the salvation of souls, essentially. So in a sense, Our Lady of Fatima's message is not adding anything to the gospel. But what, what God does when he sends a prophet is he reminds, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, and in the New Testament, the Catholic Church, he reminds us of things we should already be doing and that we're not doing. Okay? So I, I, I believe the response of Our Lady of Fatima coming to visit, uh, war is always a punishment for sin. So the great war breaking out in, in 1913 to, to however long it lasted is a punishment for sin. And the, the things I read is that God was punishing, among other things, um, Sunday labor. Okay? I think that's something as Catholics we don't really think about a lot. And in our society, it's often hard to keep the Sabbath because a lot of jobs require you to work on the Lord's Day, right? I mean, I work at one of them, actually. So way back in 1832, if you read different writings of the popes back then, they were railing against you know, unjust situations and, and, and things like that. But Our Lady of Fatima was an answer to Pope Benedict's prayer for peace. And she gave the conditions for peace. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. So it's an if. It's not, it, 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 it's not an absolute. We have to do certain things and then Russia will be converted. And because of that con conversion of Russia, there will be a period of peace. Um, if not, so in other words, if Russia does not convert, Russia will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecution of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. So that's the or. That's the either or. Why should anyone care about the message of Our Lady of Fatima? It remains ever relevant as it was 65 years ago. Pope, Pope John Paul II again. Our Lady's message at Fatima reigns, remains ever relevant. It is still more relevant than it was 65 years ago. It is still more urgent. The successor of Peter presents himself here also as a witness to the immensity of human suffering, a witness to the almost apocalyptic menaces looming over the nations and mankind as a whole. So for those uh, wanting to, in a sense, kind of set Fatima aside, the popes are trying to bring it to our attention as something we need to pay heed to. In the end, Our Lady does say, my immaculate heart will triumph the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she shall be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. In, other, in the other parts, uh, it, she says, the Holy Father will do it, but it will be late. The consecration will be done, Russia will convert, but it will be late. Okay? So I compiled a few things that I think can help us. The first thing is, our Lady came to ask for the five first Saturdays of reparation. And this is the main thing I want to focus on tonight because it's something that all of us as Catholics can do. Okay, We have this power to do it every single day. We can pray the rosary every day. 
and every month we can do the five first Saturdays. And it's something that Our Lady is actually asking us for, but I don't know how well known these, this devotion is. So I wanted to go into it in some depth because I'm a firm believer that in order for us to get to heaven, we have to pray. So, so prayer itself is necessary for salvation because without prayer, our relationship with God will wither. And without mental prayers, you know, like meditative mental prayer, St. Alphonsus Liguori says it is morally impossible to get to heaven without some measure of mental prayer. Because without mental prayer, we lose the conviction that prayer itself is necessary. So prayer itself is absolutely essential to be saved. And then mental prayer is in a sense, you could say, those who aren't doing it, they need to start right away because of how foundational it is to keeping our faith alive and, and recognizing that our true home is in heaven and we need to set our eyes on our heavenly homeland and, and not get so focused on the things of this earth, right? So mental prayer is essential for us to maintain that living relationship with God. The five first Saturdays of reparation are calling us to this meditative prayer. In addition to praying the rosary five decades a day, and then uh, on, on the Saturday she asks for the five decades of the rosary, she asks for an additional 15 minutes of meditation on the mysteries of the rosary, precisely because I believe that a lot of times when we form a habit, you know, I try to pray five decades every day, but sometimes we can, uh, that habit can become sort of, um, like, like methodical where, you know, we're not really conscientiously entering into what we're doing. And a lot of times we're praying distracted. We're praying in the car. We're, you know, it's better to pray than not to pray. That's always a cardinal rule. But our lady of Fatima is asking us, we need more mental prayer. We need more engagement with God and, and not just the vocal prayer, but the prayer that engages the mind. Okay. So the five first Saturdays, um, was promised on July 13, 1917. Our Lady of Fatima promised at Fatima, I shall come to ask for the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. And then in December 1925, she actually came to Sister Lucia. Uh, at that time, Lucia was a little older and she was, um, in 1917, she was, I think, nine years old. And in 1925, she was a Dorothean sister at a convent in Pontevedra, okay? So it was about, what, seven, eight years later. And speaking of herself in the third person, Lucia is kind of narrating what happened to her. And she's th I'm going to read her text that she says. On December 10th, 1925, the Most Holy Virgin appeared to her, Lucia, and by her side, elevated on a luminous cloud, was the child Jesus. The Most Holy Virgin rested her hand on her shoulder, on Lucia's shoulder, and as she did so, she showed her a heart encircled by thorns, which she was holding in her other hand. At the same time, the child said, have compassion on the heart of your most holy mother, covered with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce and pierce it at every moment, and there is no one to make an act of reparation to remove them. So the child is telling us that Our Lady's heart is covered with thorns, and that acts of reparation will remove those thorns. 
Then the most holy virgin said, Look, my daughter, at my heart, surrounded with thorns, with which ungrateful men pierce me at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You at least try to console me and announce in my name that I promise to assist at the hour of death with all the graces necessary for salvation, all those who on the, five, on the first Saturdays of five consecutive months, so first Saturday in, in five months consecutively, confess, so we have to go to confession, receive Holy Communion, recite the rosary, five decades, and keep me company for 15 minutes, meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary with the intention of making reparation to me. Okay, so that's in a sense her description of this devotion that she's asking all Catholics to do. If, John, if Pope St. John Paul II says that the Fatima message involves every human being, in particular this part here involves every Catholic person because of the need of prayer. So every Catholic Mass that's offered, uh, Father Brian's gone now, every Catholic Mass that's offered is offered for the living and the dead. So the souls in purgatory, the souls here on earth, the living and the dead. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that the sacraments get their power, get their efficacy. Generally speaking, the way God's grace works is in response to prayer, normally. That's the normal way God will bless things. God will give us grace in response to prayer. As, as, as it, um, you know, it says, Every, everything has been counted. God numbers the hair on the back of our head. All, all of that, God desires a certain amount of prayer and penance before he will dispense his graces, generally speaking. Okay, he can act in an unmerited way. God does this in many ways, but generally speaking, Saint Alphonsus of Glory teaches this: that God will only allow a certain number of sins before He withdraws His grace. Okay, so for every single human person, for one person it could be ten million, for one person it could be five. We have no idea, but it, it, it's in God, God's wisdom that He does this. But if we want more blessings. We show our cooperation with the grace of God by doing prayer and penance. So Our Lady of Fatima is asking Catholics to pray for sinners, to make sacrifices for sinners. And this is one way she is asking us to do this. In addition to praying the rosary every day, she wants communions of reparation because of the five blasphemies committed against her immaculate heart. And I think I have them here. I'll, I'll go through them. <clears throat> so Lucia told her mother superior this devotion that Our Lady Fatima asked for it. And based on what I read, it, it, it didn't go over very well. I mean, the, the Mother Superior didn't feel like she could really promote it. And, and then Lucia talks about that. And then she says, um, our Lord obviously foresaw this difficulty about the Mother Superior not being able to promote it. And sometime in the fall of 1925, Lucia had an unusual encounter with a young boy. She relates it as follows. I had encountered a child whom I asked if he knew the, the Hail Mary. He had answered yes. And I had asked him to say it with me, to hear him say it. At the end of three Hail Marys, I asked him to say it alone. Since he kept silence and seemed unable to say it alone, I asked him if he knew the church of St. Mary. He said yes. Then I told him to go there every day and say this prayer. O my heavenly mother, give me your child Jesus. I taught him this prayer and he went away. And then she says, 
So on February 15th, coming back as usual to empty a garbage can outside the garden, I found a child there who seemed to be the same one as before. And I asked him, did you ask our heavenly mother for the child Jesus? The child turned to me and said, and you, have you revealed to the world what the heavenly mother asked you? And having said that, he turned into a resplendent child. Then recognizing that it was Jesus, I said to him, my Jesus, you know what my confessor said to me in the letter I read you? He said that this vision had to be repeated. There had to be facts permitting us to believe it and that the mother superior alone could not spread this devotion. So she told her father confessor and he said he needed more evidence in order to believe this because the church has to judge every private revelation and she used a certain criteria uh, in order to make, make these judgments. If you guys have questions about what those criteria are, there are a couple uh, books on spiritual theology which can, can help you sort of see, you know, one of the first criteria is if there's any errors in doctrine, the church is most likely going to discount it, okay? Because God's not going to allow heresy or, or theological error to encroach on uh, authentic revelation. So that's, that's only one of them that I remember. Okay, so, so the father confessor says we need more evidence. So she tells Jesus this, and then Jesus' response is this. It is true that the mother superior alone can do nothing, but with my grace, she can do everything. It is enough that your confessor gives you permission and that your superior announced this for it to be believed by the people, even if they do not know whom it was revealed to. So she's basically saying it doesn't matter that it came from you. All that matters is that it's announced. But my confessor said in his letter that this devotion already exists in the world. So he's like, many people are already doing this. What, what, what's the need for this special devotion? Because many souls receive you every first Saturday of the month in honor of Our Lady and recite the 50 mysteries of the rosary. So he's like, many, many people are already doing this, Lord. Why, what, is, what is this about? And he says, it is true, my daughter, that many souls begin, but few persevere to the very end. And those who pers do persevere, do it to receive the graces promised. The souls who make the five first Saturdays with fervor and to make reparation to the heart of your heavenly mother, please me more than those who make 15, but are lukewarm and indifferent. My Jesus, many souls will find it difficult to confess on Saturday. Will you allow a confession within eight days to be valid? So she's like, how can we get the most people to do this devotion in a valid way? Because a lot of people might not be able to get to confession on a Saturday, for example. And he says, yes, it can even be made later on provided that the souls are in the state of grace when they receive me on the first Saturday and that they have the intention of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So that's our Lord's explanation of this devotion. And then she says, my Jesus, and those who forget to form this intention. So she's like, okay, well, what about the people that, oh yeah, I was going to do this, but I forgot. They can form it at the next confession, taking advantage of their first opportunity to go to confession. Right after that, he disappeared, without me finding out anything more about heaven's desires up to the present, whenever this interview was taking place. So that is, in a sense, the description that Lucia narrated about her conversation with our Lord about this devotion. And I think it's apropos in our times that, uh, you know, 
I think one of the things that Catholics forget a lot about is that the power of prayer. Um, we forget to do spiritual reading and we forget, you know, especially men. I mean, we, we like to, we like to do things. We like to accomplish things. You know, what, what, what difference is this going to make if I do this or if I say this or if I don't do this? But with regard to prayer, we're, we're operating on a supernatural realm. You know, it's, it's the, the order of grace or the order of the supernatural life. So God can accomplish things in ways we don't even understand. But normally speaking, according to the saints, prayer is required. Uh, especially when God asks us, he's, he's basically saying, this is the mechanism that will give peace to the world. And, and, and as individual Catholics, the reason I'm focusing on this is, is this is the part of that that we can do ourselves. There's, there's what God's asking the hierarchy, and then there's what God's asking each individual Christian. And this is one of the things God wants us to do. Pray the rosary, perform the communities of reparation on the five first Saturdays, um, and then there's other things too. When I was in the chapel, this is Lucia continuing, with our Lord, part of the night, May 29th to 30th, and I, uh, 1930, and I spoke to our Lord about questions four and five, I suddenly felt myself more intimately possessed by the divine presence, and if I am not mistaken, this is what was revealed to me. My daughter, the reason, and, and she puts in parentheses for the five first Saturdays, is simple. There are five types of offenses and blasphemies committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Blasphemies against the Immaculate Conception. Blasphemies against her perpetual virginity. Blasphemies against her divine maternity. And refusing at the same time to recognize her as the mother of men. The blasphemies of those who publicly seek to sow in the hearts of children indifference or scorn or even hatred of the Immaculate Mother. And number five, the offenses of those who outrage her directly in her holy images. So if you hear um, a lot of the uh, stories of statues of Our Lady and Our Lord being desecrated in Europe and other places, this falls right into that. So Fatima is for our time. It's, this stuff is still happening today. Here, my daughter, is the reason why the Immaculate Heart of Mary inspired me to ask for this little act of reparation and in consideration of it to move my mercy to pardon souls who have had the misfortune of offending her. As for you, always seek by your prayers and sacrifices to move my mercy to pity for these poor souls. I brought with me an example of, of something that can help us, and it's actually a different devotion, but it, it can be used to help with the Five First Saturdays. But it's, it's a little sheet like this, and this is a sheet uh, which describes the 54-day Rosary Novena. How many of you have heard of that? Okay. Uh, have you ever tried it out or ever done it? 25 days. Okay. All right. So <laughs> the first time I tried it, I, I didn't complete it. And then I tried a second one and, and did it. But in, in essence, what the 54-day Rosary Novena is, is you say five decades of the Rosary for 27 days in petition. So what is that? That's 390 novenas, 27 days, okay? 390 novenas in petition, five decades of the rosary every day. And it, the, the way it's easiest to do is just do the traditional rosary, joyful, sorrowful glories, joyful, sorrowful glories. You just go all the way through for nine days, through 27 days of petition, 
And then you do another 27 days, three novenas of nine days in Thanksgiving. And that means you have done 150 rosaries, however many of that is. Um, I counted it once, but I forgot. So this would be for a specific intention. So you would do, say, you know, Lord, I am petitioning for this. And then you continue with the devotion, even if you haven't received an answer to your prayer yet. So the thanksgiving, the prayer of thanksgiving happens even before God answers the prayer. So you're doing it in anticipation of God saying yes to whatever it is. God will always answer a prayer as long as it's for the good of our salvation. So he's, he's not going to answer something that's going to contradict his will for us, right? But if it's something that will help us in our salvation, this is a very excellent devotion to practice. Um, if you want for like conversions of family members or something specific in your own life, maybe a, a bad habit you're trying to break from or something like that, uh, this is something that's also very useful. And I, I use this in combination with another sheet that I have and you can you have a little checklist, you know, five first Saturday devotion, rosary check, you know, wearing the scapular, confession check, communion, you know, you can help yourself to practice these devotions and, and just like we would in any other endeavor in our life, use our mind to help us in our life of faith. Okay, so that was one of the main we, reasons I wanted to come here was that I think that devotion is not well known by Catholics. And it's one of the things Our Lady asked for specifically as, as far as making acts of reparation. Remember, the theology of prayer in the church, part of that is rep, prayer of reparation. Okay, So when we go to confession, what happens is, is the priest will impose a penance on us, right? Well, part of that is an act of reparation for our own sins. And also it's to help us form the opposing virtue. So if we're falling in a certain way and the priest says, I want you to do this. What he's trying to do as a, as a father confessor, he's trying to help us to fight against the bad habit and form the opposing habit, which is a virtue. Okay. So why did, why did Our Lady come to Fatima? Because the world was at war and she answered the Pope's request about ending the war and, and that there needs to be certain things that happen before God will establish peace in the world. If not, other things will happen. So here, here's kind of the chronology. On May 13th, Our Lady appears to three children, and this is in 1917, and she asks that they return for five months in succession. So come back on the 13th for the next five months. This is at month one. She's come back five more times on the 13th, each day of the month at the same hour. At each apparition, Our Lady requested that the rosary be prayed every day to obtain peace in the world. June 13th, she tells the children the next month that God wishes to establish in the world to devotion to her immaculate heart, and about 50 people were there at that time on that second meeting. July 13th, there was about 5,000 people there, 1917, same year, and in the Kova, uh, Our Lady confides to the children a great secret in three parts. Now, this is, this is uh, where the story gets you know, complicated, okay? Uh, the first part is a vision of hell. That's what you would call part A or secret one. Our Lady says, you have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wills to establish in the world devotion to my immaculate heart. 
So this is the third meeting. 5,000 people are there, and she's giving the secret. The second part, or secret two, is a detailed prophecy of events that will occur if the Pope and the bishops of the world do not perform a public and solemn ceremony of the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And Our Lady promises to return at a future date to request this. She says, I will come back and I will request this act of consecration and the communion of reparation to her Immaculate Heart, which is what I just talked about, the Five First Saturday devotion and communions of reparation. So in July 13th, she told the seers that she would come back and ask for that. Okay. The prophecy events include the Second World War. So this is what she told the children. She said, Our Lady uh, warns that a new war will erupt during the reign of Pius XI. And remember, Benedict XV was Pope at the time. So she prophesied the future Pope. Okay? And because that prophecy came true, this lends credence to the entire message. The spread of Russia's errors throughout the world, including communism, which had not yet been imposed by the Bolsheviks at the time. It was still early yet. But that year was the year of the revolution in Russia. So Our Lady comes at the same time where there's this unrest going on in Russia. Persecutions of the church would happen, and the martyrdom of the good, and the suffering of the Holy Father, and ultimately the annihilation of, quote, various nations. So this was all prophesied on that meeting in, in July. Our Lady did promise the seers, however. So the three seers are fascinating to me. There's, there's uh, Lucia dos Santos, who was about nine years old at the time, and then her cousins, uh, Francisco and Jacinta Marto, who I think were about seven at the time. Um, and I kind of, uh, I'm very partial to um, Francisco because of the three, he could not hear what was being said. He had to ask the two girls what Our Lady said. He could only see. You know, he, he, he was deaf to the whole message. He had to, conf he had, you know, they had to tell him what she said. And, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I, you know, Lord, what are you telling me? So I said, Francisco, pray for me. <laughs> so I could hear a, a little easier. Um, okay. So ultimately she said, there will be a period of peace granted to the world. Russia will be converted. Many souls will be saved. Ultimately, she also promised, the Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and my Immaculate Heart will triumph. So we know the end of the story. We just don't know exactly when that end will happen. Will we avoid uh, Russia spreading her errors? Will we avoid the annihilation of nations, etc.? Before the period of peace happens, we don't exactly know. The third part, which is commonly known as the third secret, uh, which I think at least part of it, you could say, some people think we got the whole thing. I'm of the opinion that we didn't really get the whole thing. Um, but the Vatican released, I believe it was in the year 2000, uh, this vision. And it involves a post-apocalyptic world in which a future pope, future from 1917, okay. so. Uh, Lucia is, is, is seeing this vision and, and trying to describe it. Uh, it involves a pope, so any of you who haven't read that document that was released by the Vatican in 2000, it describes this vision of a pope uh, being executed on, on a hill before a cross and outside it's, it's a city that looks like it's been desecrated by war 
so destroyed by war. And along with priests, bishops, religious, and members of the laity. There is a section that Lucia wrote, and there was more than one version of it. My understanding is that the bishop of, um, whoever, whoever's the bishop of the diocese in which uh, Fatima resides, sent that to Rome, and, and that ended up being in the papal apartments. Okay, so the final resting place of that text I think is in Rome now. Um, she says, as, as a way of beginning to describe this, because she tried to write down the secret. She was under orders by, I believe it was her bishop, um, to write the secret down, and she tried for a month and couldn't do it. And then Our Lady comes to her and says, well, just write down the vision. So she was able to do that, and then later on, she was able to write down, presumably, words of Our Lady that described the vision. But all we have of that is when she says, in Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved. And then what Lucia added an etc. to that, meaning there looks like there was more that came after that. But to my knowledge, that anything that may have come after that has not been revealed to us. Okay, so obviously we're dealing with prophecy, but we're dealing with a vision. And my own understanding of this is that Our Lady explained the first part. She explained the vision of hell. She said, this is hell, where the souls of poor sinners go. And then she explained the second part where she, she talked about a new war will break out under the reign of Pius XI, and she prophesied about what would happen, and then she asked for the consecration of Russia. So October 13th, after her apparitions in August and September, also, if you don't know the story, in August, the children were kidnapped, the three seers. They were kidnapped for a couple of days. So Our Lady appears and she wasn't able to meet with the children, okay? So she ends up meeting with them later in August, but she did still meet with the children. But they were kidnapped by what I've read is the Freemasons in Portugal at the time. So it was Freemasonry in the government. And they kidnapped the children and threatened to, to kill them. and. You know, they would take, have the two seers in one room and one in the other, and they, they, they threatened to boil them in oil or something like that. It was, and, and the children never balked. They, they, they never recanted. It's like basically saying, deny this message. You know, this is not the truth. No, they never did. E even though they were only seven and nine years old, you know. So she returns on October 13, and she says, people must amend their lives and ask pardon for their sins. They must not offend our Lord anymore. He is already too much offended. She tells us to continue to pray the rosary every day. In this October meeting, there were 70,000 people there gathered at the Kova. It was raining, so it was muddy, and people were in the mud. Then what happens is we'll call the miracle of the sun. It's really impossible to imagine what this could have looked like, even though you read descriptions of it. Um, during this time, the sun leaves its spot in the sky, dances around for about 10 minutes, twirling in colors. This event, uh, this miracle, astronomical miracle, was recorded in the New York Times that year. So it was actually a story that the New York Times published 
that 70,000 people saw this. Okay, so it's another credence to the, to the, to the story that, that this is real. Even atheists couldn't deny that they saw this. The rain suddenly stops, the clouds disappear, and then the sun twirls in the sky, throws off these covers, and then it plunges down towards the people. And if you've ever seen movies depicting this, it's like terrifies them. And the accounts that I read of this, what ends up happening is it instantly dried everybody. It dried their clothes and they were clean. So they were no longer muddy. The, the, the force of, and heat that would have been required to do that would be analogous to like a nuclear bomb going off in order to, to dry them and, and do that so instantaneously. So this, that's what happens at the end of the October uh, um, apparition meeting. And there were many converts that day, as you can imagine. So in 1925, Our Lady returns to announce the five first Saturdays that she told them about in 1917, in December 10th. She fulfills her promise, and she comes back and asks in the convent for the communions of reparation. And I, I read you the text that she did that. Uh, announce in my name that I promise to assist at the moment of death, so Our Lady will assist us at our, our, our moment of our death, with all the graces necessary for salvation. That's pretty powerful, right? All the graces necessary for our salvation. Those who, on the five, first Saturday of five consecutive months, shall confess, receive Holy Communion, recite five decades of the Rosary, and keep me company for 15 minutes, while meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary with the intention of making reparation to me. So that's, in essence, the part that we can do. At the same time, the child Jesus accompanied the Blessed Virgin and pleads for us to make reparation to his, the heart of his Immaculate Mother. Okay, so we're moving on. 1926, in February 15th, while emptying a garbage can, um, she, she talks about the, I, th I think I read that to you. So. He's asking about the devotion being spread and that it can be made uh, a week, uh, eight days away, the confession can happen eight days away, etc. 1929 is when Our Lady comes back and asks for the uh, consecration of Russia, June 13, 1929, in fulfillment of her promise during the apparition of July 13, 1917. So this is what, 12 years later? Our Lady of Fatima appears to Sister Lucy at Tui in Spain, along with the visible presence of the Most Holy Trinity. So she's there, and there's some, some image of the Trinity, and tells Lucia, the moment has come in which God asks of the Holy Father to make and to order that in union with him, and at the same time, all the bishops of the world make the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart, promising to convert it because of this day of prayer and worldwide reparation. In 1931, so this is still the chronology, um, our Lord warns of the consequences of failing to perform the consecration, because it had not done it, been done at the time. He says, and, and this, this part gives me chills. He says, make it known to my ministers, given that they follow the example of the King of France, in delaying the ex execution of my command, they will follow him into misfortune. So the, the ministers, will follow the king of France into misfortune. And he was referring, I believe, to, um, I think it was Louis XVI. Um, if you remember, one of his 
predecessors was asked to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And I think it was around the year 100 was, was the French Revolution, 1789, okay? And what happens eventually is uh, Louis XVI is at, he's, I don't know how he died. I think he was beheaded, but he, he's executed. He dies, okay? So if, if, if the ministers follow the King of France in the misfortune, the speculation is that it's about a 100-year timeline. But we don't know for sure because we, 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 haven't, we haven't received anything past that, etc. In Portugal, the dogma of faith will always be preserved, etc. We don't know what happens after that. We don't know the message after that. But the speculation is that possibly there's a 100-year timeline. 100 years from when? 1917? Well, we've already passed that. So possibly 1929, but again, this is a speculative thing. So Before what? Before, so for example, you have the, uh, I think we're living out part of it now, is that the eras of Russia have pretty much already spread throughout the world, okay? Communism, indifferentism, atheism, agnosticism, you know, you've, uh, you have, you've got guys writing books denying the faith left and right, and then you also have the eras of Russia so pr pretty much we as Catholics, we have a difficulty because we, we sort of live and breathe eras of Russia. We live and breathe indifferentism, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a nice person, you know. That's a very Masonic type of idea. If charity is true charity, scripture says charity rejoices in the truth. So what you believe about God and what you believe about mankind are very important things and they actually have a bearing on our salvation, okay. I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, you're, there are many paths to God. Well, that's not what our Lord said. Our Lord said, you know, there is no name under heaven by which you must be saved other than mine, you know. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Okay, so scripture is very clear. The tradition of the church is very clear that truth is not a something but a somebody. Okay, so Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can't get to the Father but by him. So... Private revelation or public prophetic revelation, which is what I believe Fatima is, dovetails with scripture and, and, and the gospel. Um, so I think we're living through today an unfolding of the effects of what will happen before the period of peace. So uh, what I believe is this, is that there have been a number of attempts to consecrate Russia done by many of the popes. Pius XII did it a number of times. John Paul II did one, um, but in every case, when you, if, if you read the literature, Sister Lucia, time and time again, she said, he didn't mention Russia, or the, there was no involvement with the bishops. You know, in, in one, of the, one of the parts it says, many of the bishops uh, attributed no importance to this act. So they just ignored him. And I think she was talking about the, I think it was in 1982, where John Paul II, 1982 or 84, he consecrates uh, the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, right? Well, that's different than saying, you know, so if I was to say, I want to consecrate myself. So if I, if I make a prayer saying I consecrate the world, what, what is, consecrate, you have, to con you have to focus, consecration has to happen to something or some uh, person. And what consecration is, is setting that thing aside from profane use, reserving it for God, okay? So it, you know, I, I'm sure our Lord, this, this is a speculation on my part. This is not part of the message. Perhaps what happened in Russia in the 1980s 
was a sort of partial, you know, God giving us this kind of a blessing. But it wasn't the period of peace, I'm convinced, that Our Lady was talking about and, and, and that she prophesied. Because I believe what has to happen is this. She, she asked for the consecration of Russia to prevent the, the annihilation of nations, the persecution of the church, and, and the Holy Father having much to suffer. So, I mean, it sounds global to me. But there's an aspect of this that I don't, I, I mean, I just realized this in thinking about it, is that the annihilation of nations to me sounds physical, but there's also a, a, another interpretation of it, and that is via globalism, you know? So you, you're kind of breaking down boundaries, and that's another way nations can be annihilated. But it's very clear that the message does talk about a city in ruins, and that does to me speak of something that happened after a war. Um, I, I was in Poland for about a week uh, during my time in school, and I think it was in Warsaw. You still, however many years it's been since World War II, you still see evidence of the damage done during World War II to that city. So this, this message is speaking of a, 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 a city in ruins, you know, that the Pope will be executed right before a cross, right amidst the bodies of his priests and, and lay faithful. In 1941, okay, so you, you could say, well, maybe the annihilation of nations hasn't happened yet. Maybe there's still time. But I think the eras of Russia have already pretty much, at least the, at least the uh, intellectual eras are already around us. We grew up within it. So it's, you, you have to kind of fight against, what, what do you call it, the inertia. You have, you have to fight against like, the inertia of not evangelizing. You know? And we as Catholics, we don't evangelize very well. We should, we, we, we have everything we need to evangelize, but I mean, it takes courage to share the faith, especially when you know most, most of the time it's, it's not gonna go very well, right? Most conversations you have about God, you can have some good ones, but generally speaking, how many of us do it in the workplace? You know, there's, like, there's even like laws and policies, you know, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, but I think we, in a sense, we lack a sort of spiritual courage that we need as Catholics that you know, we are the leaven. We are meant to be the leaven in the world. And as the church goes, so goes society. When John Paul II talked about um, the family, okay, so we'll, we'll bring that into the picture. The family's being attacked in many ways, and I think this started way back when, whenever it was that um, contraception was legalized and then the, the divorce, no-fault divorce came into play, and, and we're talking even before the scandals that came out in the last 10, 15 years. My own belief is that this is part of the Fatima prophecy that we haven't heard yet, that, that it illustrates this situation, you know, the apostasy in the church. And there is a, a biblical quote I want to read real quick. Okay, so whoever remembers that visit of John Paul in Fatima in 1982, he, I think he went to Fatima a couple times, but in 1982, I think, was when he mentioned this, and he, he deliberately brought up, nobody, nobody asked him, but he, he brought up the Apocalypse or Revelation, Book of Revelation, chapter 12, and this is the quote, this is the passage that he referenced, and he said, obviously it's the, the queen with the crown of 12 stars and the moon under her feet. There was a, seen another sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, 
having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So there's a dragon, and his tail sweeps a third of the stars and casts them down to the earth. And John Paul II mentioned that, Pope John Paul II mentioned that when he was in Fatima. I think what he is saying in an indirect way is that Fatima connects to what's going on in the church today. And I can include in that all manner of, you know, bad teaching and, and so faith and morals, basically, bad teaching and bad morals. If you think about navigation, if you've ever uh, been on a sailboat, what do the stars do? They help you navigate, right? They guide, they guide you to the right port. Well, what's the port for Catholics? What's the port? Where are we headed? Heaven, right? We hope. <laughs> okay. No, no, good guess. Okay. So if, if, we're, if we're trying to get to heaven, we have to use the stars to navigate. Who are the stars in the Catholic Church? The bishops and the priests. Okay, so it's possible. And this is an interpretation, obviously. We can interpret prophecy in many different ways, but it's possible that Our Lady of Fatima is prophesying that one-third of bishops and priests will be cast down. Okay, and Pope Benedict, or I'm sorry, Pope John, St. John Paul II brought this up when he was at Fatima. And then the Fatima scholars had tried to figure out, what was he saying here? I believe it was Pope Benedict that said that the Fatima message, and, and I think he talked about this before he was Pope, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, he had a book come out called The Ratzinger Report, and I think in there he mentions, he, he mentions Our Lady of Fatima, and he said the, the message of Fatima involves the very life of the church and the world. Well, the life of the church is her faith, the life of faith of Catholics, okay? So my, my, my own personal belief is that our Lady asked for Russia to be consecrated by the Pope and all the bishops, and to one degree or another, they've all, many of them have made attempts, but it wasn't exactly what Our Lady wanted. And until that actually happens, that means that the errors are still gonna continue, and until the period of peace comes, after the consecration will happen, the period of peace will come, and that will happen because Russia will convert. And I think God will use Russia to re-evangelize the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? I think that's part of our future and me. And you, you say convert, not just away from communism, but back to the Roman Catholic faith. That, that would be does the, God do anything in half measures? Right, so do, essentially in the schism of 1054, that's what this would mean. You know, I never thought of it that way, but absolutely if, if, uh, if you, there's a book out who, which is, uh, it's sort of like a literary hypothesis, and it's called Russian Sunrise. I think the author's name is Bruce Walters, and he sort of writes a, a speculation of what, what the consecration of Russia might look like and how it could come about and what it would do to the world. And he basically says that the patriarchs in, um, the patriarchs in Russia, the Eastern Orthodox, would convert, and a large section of their priests would convert, and what, what would happen is there would be Russian Orthodox becoming under the Pope, and then they would be sent out as missionaries to the rest of the world. 
I mean, it's a fascinating read, amazing to think about. And who knows if, if we'll all live to see it. But what I, what I think the message of Fatima is, is trying to get us to remember is that we all need to pray more. She did ask the Pope to consecrate Russia. And I, they, there have been attempts, but as I'm reading through things, it looks to me like we're still in the, the phase of the errors of Russia spreading. And we don't exactly know when the other part will happen. You know, the, to my knowledge, um, the only connection possibly being made, John Paul II, he may have thought he was the bishop in white. Um, I don't think I read that part to you yet, where, there, okay, so the bishop dressed in white and, and, and he's executed in front of the cross, that perhaps the assassination attempt, was it in 19, what year was that? 81. Shortly thereafter, he read the Fatima secret, he read the message, and and it was the very next year he goes to Fatima. So he may have felt that he was the Bishop of White. There's a fascinating article by a guy named John Salza, and he kind of does a deep dive into this, where now if, 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 if you have bishops throughout the world, there are some bishops that live near the equator. You have some bishops in, in warmer climates, and they wear white, like in India and other places like that. So you can't have a bishop wearing white that's not the Pope. The thing is, is that those bishops never give the impression that they're the Pope because of where they're living and who they are, right? So a bishop in India or, or a bishop in um, you know, a warm climate, it's obvious that that's not Rome and it's obvious that they are not the Pope. However, what do we have today? We have two bishops who both live in Rome and they are both wearing white and they are both named Pope. Okay, obviously it's only one Pope, right? But for some unexplainable reason, and I, I had chills when I read this, when, when uh, Pope Benedict said he was gonna continue to be referred to as Pope Emeritus Benedict, and he's still wearing white, and he's still living in Rome, and we have Pope Francis, who is wearing white and living in Rome. So when you read the Fatima message, Sister Lucia talks about the bishop dressed in white who we thought was the Holy Father, or in other words, it, this person gave us the impression that they were the Holy Father, and then she says the Holy Father. So we're not sure if she's talking about the Pope in two different ways, or if she's talking about two different people. We're not sure. But that's what I'm saying is that I, I think this explanation is in the dogma of faith will always, uh, Portugal will always be preserved, etc., I think the explanation of this like mystery is in words that came after that that we haven't heard yet. That's my own impression after doing the research. My main thing I wanted to talk to you guys tonight about though is what can we control? What we can control, we can control whether or not the Pope does any, any kind of prayer, but we can control what we do. We can ask in our rosaries that the Pope will consecrate Russia. We can ask that the period of peace come about in our lifetime. We can spread devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is the main reason why Christ is asking for this. And in, in some of the other uh, um, part of the message, he says, I think it was Lucia was talking, or no, I'm sorry. Someone was interviewing Sister Lucia and was asking her, why does God want this? Why does God want the consecration of Russia? Why does God want the five first Saturdays? And, and the answer was, Lucia says, 
God wants devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary to be right beside devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Okay, so it's through the Immaculate Heart of Mary that the period of peace will come. So let's, you know, follow me here. The Pope does a consecration, a five-minute public prayer, commands all the bishops to do it with him. And if, if it's public act, every bishop does it in their own cathedral, and the Pope does it in Rome, presumably at St. John Lateran, because he's the bishop of that church, the bishop of John Lateran. Okay, so let's say the Pope does the consecration, all the bishops do it, and then what happens? Russia all of a sudden converts, and the time period involved and the public nature of the prayer will make it unmistakable to the whole world the role that the Pope and the bishops have in the church and, and the fact that it is the true church, that Catholicism is the true faith, okay? And I, I think that's why God is asking this because God wants the world to see, number one, that the peace came through his mother and through her immaculate heart, and number two, the role of the Pope and the bishops have in being the stars that guide us to our true port, okay? So I think I've taken enough time as far as gone through the historical part of it. Were there any questions? Family. Family, okay, all right. So the family is the domestic church, and I believe that, I think I'm getting that from the catechism. Many different attacks on the family are happening. Number one, and this is my own um, thinking, is that how many households are able to survive on one income today? Very, very few, right? What does that do? That forces, this, the, that forces the second parent out of the home and they can no longer be home with their children and raise the children, so they have to put the children into either babysitting or daycare or something else, and that interrupts the bond that the mother has with the child, which is supposed to happen at a very young age. So these attacks on the family have been starting, and they, they, they're very good at what they're doing um, in, in trying to undermine the efforts to have strong family. And then you've got divorce, you've got basically every attack against life. Um, you know, we're almost as a, as a culture kind of resorting to even before paganism, you know, where, you know, you talk about, um, we think we're so holy you know, we're, we're so enlightened and, but you know, and yet we have abortion, you know? I mean, that's, how many lives are lost in that? The, the attacks are manifold, it manifests all around us. One of the main ways to build and maintain a Catholic life, a Catholic family life, is number one, mental prayer I think is absolutely a must. We Catholics have to pray, we have to start praying. We don't re realize the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer, number one, for our own salvation, but number two, you as fathers, if, if how many fathers are here? Raise your hand. Okay. So it, it's a teaching of the church that as fathers, you have positional authority, spiritual authority in your, in your households, and you have the authority to bless your children and to bless your spouses. And this is part of the hierarchy that God established, okay? So if, if the devil's gonna come after someone, first thing he's gonna do is try to go after the father because the father's the head of the home, the head of the household. If he can't get to the father, then he's gonna go after the spouse. And if he can't get to her, he's gonna go after the children. But if he can get the father, he's, he's got a doorway, he's got, he's got in them. So the father uh, 
it's, it's long been recognized that what the father says regarding the, the prayer life of the children, where to go to mass, etc. He has the right to decide those things for, for the benefit of his family. Um, this is church tradition. I'm not exactly quoting scripture or anything like that, but there is a definite hierarchy that God established in, in many areas, and in particular in the spiritual life. Um, fathers have a large role to play in the spiritual formation of their family. Father, most guys will recognize, you know, I have to provide for them. I have to provide, you know, a home and an education. But the most important thing is education in the faith. So marriage is a sacrament uh, where two come together, become one flesh, and they, they share in the creative power of God by producing children. Well, why is that? Because God, in not only pr producing children, he wants to populate heaven with saints. That's really what marriage is about, populating heaven with saints. Okay? So the primary goal of a family is to raise children, but also raise them in the faith. So how to do that today? Obviously, Our Lady of Fatima, she wants us to devote ourselves to the rosary, to communities of reparation on the first Saturdays, and mental prayer, meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary. Because all of these things are connected. So the, the, the more we pray, the healthier our family life is going to be because there's going to be peace in the home. If the husband and wife are together, a united front, the children are going to, going to obey their parents if they see mom and dad obeying God in the church. If they're disobeying God in the church, the children are going to say, well, why should I obey mom and dad? You know? So it, it starts there. It starts with me obeying God, husband and wife obeying God, children are going to obey the husband and wife. Obviously, there's... You know, I'm, I'm speaking largely in generalities, but prayer is necessary. Uh, mental prayer, I think, is morally necessary for us to be saved. And Our Lady of Fatima says what we can do is we can, we can do these two devotions. First of all, wear the brown scapular, which is something I didn't talk about. So she, she came to Fatima and also held out the brown scapular. And I think Lucia said in one of her interviews that the brown scapular and the rosary they like go together. They're like two parts of a whole. So if you, I, I know in my own life, if you wear the scapular, the brown scapular of caramel, I find that when I wear it, it's easier for me to get my rosary said. Um, I can't explain why that is, but I, it is for me. And as I'm not the only person that has, that has said that. So if you, if you wear the scapular, it will probably be easier for you to get your rosary in because it's a sacramental. Um, wear the scapular, pray the rosary every day, five decades, do the five first Saturdays, um, learn the faith and deepen in your faith. So there are many good catechisms and many good works um, uh, that will help you grow in your faith. Spiritual reading is another thing that I think a lot of us don't do or with some regularity, maybe we do it every now and then. But there's many, many lists of books that can help you develop in your life of prayer that are, um, you know, it's very, very common lists recommended by the church. Many of the saints, uh, basically anything written by a saint is going to be good. And also reading um, uh, some of the magisterial documents. So, for example, the one on marriage, Casti Canubii, uh, I believe it was by Pope Pius XI, I think, and the I believe it was in the 1930s. That may be my favorite encyclical on marriage. 
If you've never read anything by a pope, that's not a bad place to start. Because it actually talks about back then, so this is what, 20 years after Fatima, 10, 15 years after Fatima, already back then, the inroads that were being made against the family were already going on. And Pope Pius XI wrote that encyclical to combat those errors. Um, so we have contraception, abortion, um, no-fault divorce, which I, I can't remember when that started, Lambeth Conference, whenever that was. All of these things were attacks on the family. And then, and then we have a, a very recent revelation by uh, Cardinal, is it Kafara or uh, I can't remember what his name is now. Karafa or Kafara? He basically said that the final battle will be on the family. And Sister Lucia talked about this I didn't bring it with me tonight. I, I could find it if you're interested. But she had an interview with a, a priest called Father Fuentes, and I think it was in 1957. And, and my understanding is it was her, her last public interview where she went on at such great length. And she talked about the decisive battle. You know, the, the devil is getting ready for a decisive battle. And the cardinal lets it be known that this battle is involving the family. Well, it makes perfect sense today. Uh, the difference today, though, is that there are people inside the church, high prelates, that are the ones attack, attacking the family, essentially, um, which is difficult to understand unless, quite possibly, this text that we don't really have about Fatima, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved. Maybe that talked about this as a warning to us that we need to be on our guard against bad shepherds, right? So as Catholics, a lot of people will accuse us of just going along with the flow, just doing whatever the Pope and priests say. Well, today we, in a sense, don't really have that luxury. We have to know our faith. We have to be willing as Catholics, if necessary, to die for our faith. Isn't that what we promised at our baptism or for many of us, our confirmation? You know, I believe these things and I, I wouldn't wish this on myself or anybody, but if God puts me in a position where I have to either stand up for the faith or apostatize, hopefully I will stand up for the faith, even if it means it's the last thing I do. Um, I firmly believe that the situation in the church and the situation with the family is not gonna change until Russia is consecrated in a way asked by Our Lady. And I understand that this might be new information for a lot of people. Um, I was shocked when I kind of read the history on this. But in the end, the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady will triumph. She does say this. And we just don't know exactly what's going to unfold before then. But the things that we could do is promote the rosary, promote devotion to her Immaculate Heart, promote the five first Saturdays, because I think the reason, if, if it's true that the popes have not done this the way Our Lady asked, it's because the popes haven't give, been given the grace to do it. They've tried, they've done partial, you know, they did it without the bishops, or they mentioned the world and not Russia, or they, you know, Pope Pius XII, I think, came the closest, but Pope John Paul II in 1984, I believe. But if they're missing the mark, it's because they haven't get, been given the grace to finally accomplish it. And, um, our prayers will help that, will help get the Pope the grace he needs to finally command the bishops to do this. Um, and I think that's where 
we'll start to see this period of peace. But how can we live the faith? Many of you already know how to live the faith and you're doing it. Learn the faith, um, recommit if you haven't already to a regular life of prayer, attend mass daily if possible. The more times you receive communion, the way the saints talk about that is your prayers after reception of communion, provided you receive it in the state of grace, obviously, because otherwise it's a sacrilege, right? But if you receive communion in the state of grace, the way the saints describe it is that your prayers in that state have a, they, they say like they have a particular efficacy that because you're, you're never more united to God than you are at that moment, at least this side of heaven, because you've got the true body and blood of Christ within you. So I, I tell people sometimes, you know, if you have a specific intention that you're really struggling with, during the time after communion, that's, that's where to open your heart and cry to heaven and say, Lord, I, I need help in this area, okay? And St. Teresa of Avila, she has something very beautiful. Um, she's quoted by Alphonsus Liguori. I, I have a book on um, preparation for death, kind of a morbid title, I know. But in that book, it's a bunch of meditations. All it is is helps for mental prayer. And in that book, he describes uh, like a sort of rule of life for Catholics. It's, it's really a great read. And in that, he talks about what happens. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila describes, you know, God coming to you at that very particular moment. And, and, and it's a very beautiful quote. I wish I could remember. She says something like, your, your prayers have special efficacy here, you know. And when I read that, I was like, my heart kind of opened up and I was like, wow, I need to remember that because we attend mass every Sunday. We have the opportunity every single Sunday, we receive the king of heaven. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the access to Christ's Passover, uh, every single mass that's offered. And when we receive communion, we are participating in that in a direct way. Um, and I, I think the more we love God, the more we love our faith, it, that's going to carry down to our children. So learn the faith. The truth matters because the truth is a person. The truth is Jesus Christ. And with regard to Fatima and, and you know, whether or not we're going to see the Pope get it killed and the annihilation of nations happen within our lifetimes, we have no idea. But one thing I, I truly believe is that if Russia is consecrated in time, that will not happen. But she does say the Pope will do it, but she also says it will be late. But we don't really know what that means. We're, we're kind of speculating. You know, the Pope will do it, but it will be late. But in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph, okay? So what I think is that the secret, the dogma of faith will always be preserved in Portugal, etc. Whatever that etc. is, I think we need to hear it. And for, what, so for some reason, the, the, the church has seen fit to not release the full thing. That's, that's my take on the thing. When we got the vision, but we didn't really get anything accompanying it to, to describe what that means. And I think that that explanation would sort of describe what's going on in the world right now to a T. Uh, Sister Lucia used a phrase quite often where she said, um, we're, we're, you know, the world is kind of in a diabolical disorientation right now. And then Pope Paul VI, I believe, he's the one, that, the famous quote of him is that he says, the smoke of Satan has entered the church of God, okay? Um, I don't remember years though, but so it seems like the, Holy, the Pope's 
Paul VI, John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, they're aware of the crisis. And I, I do think that the, our Lady of Fatima provides the answer for peace that Pope Benedict XV in 1917 petitioned God for peace. And I think Our Lady of Fatima provided the answer. And I think the church has partially complied, but not completely complied, because otherwise the true period of peace would mean Russia completely converting and re-evangelizing. I, I, can't, I can't imagine it being anything other than that as a Catholic, okay? Because God is not going to contradict himself. If he founded the church and it's the true faith, then he wants everyone to join that true faith. And why would he send Our Lady of Fatima and provide, you know, a period of peace uh, unless the Catholic faith had something to do with that? So I do believe that they perfectly dovetail the gospel and Our Lady of Fatima message could very well be a fulfillment of biblical prophecy of Revelation chapter 12. So did I talk about this, the, the, the tail sweeping down the, okay. So that could very well be what Our Lady of Fatima is talking about there in, in, in the, the text that wasn't really fully released that describes the vision dress of the bishop dressed in white. It could possibly be this message of Our Lady that describes that vision that we don't have yet is describing, it, it could be the, the, the um, scandals in the church that happened in 2002, you know, in, in the United States, all the priest scandals and, and everything that's happening now with the attacks on the family could very well be described in the Fatima vision, but we don't have that part of it. So I would fully advocate for the release of that, but that's where prayer comes in. En enough prayer comes up from the faithful, God will provide the grace to the Pope to not only release that secret, but to consecrate Russia and the period of peace will happen. Again, Our Lady said it would happen, my medical heart will triumph, but she did say the Pope will do it, but it will be late. So not necessarily the best, you know, happy thought, but I felt when I came here, I had to tell you the truth as I understand it based on the research I've done. If you have further questions, I'm more than willing to answer questions and I also will happily if anyone wants to write down their email I'll send you recommended reading on this and there's a couple different um, books I have that I've read personally that I would recommend Russian Sunrise is a fascinating read which I think we all need good news right and Russian Sunrise is sort of a hypothesis about what the consecration could look like and what the period of peace would look like and I was very uplifted after I read that and it is a sort of he kind of writes it as what if Pope Benedict did this, right? And he calls, I think he calls Pope Benedict Nicholas, Nicholas the first or something like that, but it's obvious who he's talking about. Pope's got short, he's got white hair, you know, you know it's Benedict. Um, but it's a great read, Bruce Walther's Russian Sunrise. Um, the, the idea that Russia will be the one to re-evangelize the world, to me, it, it, it makes biblical sense, you know? The errors came from there, and the re-Christianization will come from there. It makes perfect sense. It's like the last will be first, the first year will be last. So anyway, uh, I'll take questions now. Yeah. You've got the, this prophecy about the final battle being about the family, and then you've also got this, let's just say a redacted report, right, that the, the church is not telling us what's in this for, for whatever reason. And also you've got a Morris Letizia and a very questionable footnote precisely about the family right 
and you got two two bishops wearing white in Rome. Yes. How much, how plausible is it that this redacted uh, prophecy concerns this very unique situation? Not very, it's unique. There's no, there's no other time in the church's history when there's been two popes living in Rome. So the question was, given the history. We, by the way, we got to wrap it up. Okay. Soon, so just, okay. Sorry. So is, is the situation of um, the final battle will concern the family and will the um, two bishops dressed in white, is it plausible that the third secret talks about that? I think it's very plausible that whatever it is that we don't know will describe the situation in the church and it would make perfect sense to us today because it, it was supposed to be revealed in 1960. As many know, that was a couple years later, the Second Vatican Council happened. And instead of releasing it in 1960, Pope John XXIII put on there, not for, not for my time or not for our time, something like that. Um, my own personal belief is that something in the text that we don't have would make sense of the fact that we have two bishops in Rome wearing white. Okay, uh, it also would make sense of the fact that, so that, that message that John Paul said, the tail will sweep down the third of the stars from the sky and cast them to the earth. There was a reason he mentioned that while he was at Fatima. And it could be possible that the text that we don't have maybe even has that in there. I mean, I, I have thought that, that he may be quoting the text without telling us. Yeah. Yes. So... Our Lady emphasized that the error of Russia should not spread. So what exactly about the error of Russia or communism attacks the family? Like what sort, is it, is it the breakdown of the structure of the family? Is it, is it the, uh, uh, the high rate of divorce that, that's in Russia? Okay. What, can you elaborate on that? So the question involved the errors of Russia and the prophecy was that they wouldn't spread, but the prophecy was if Russia was consecrated, they wouldn't spread, right? And our Lord came back two years later saying, this hasn't been done yet. And then he came back again. And Sister Lucia, even in 1957, uh, in her last public interview, mentioned that. So. Her whole life, to my knowledge, she, she always said they were partial, but they did not exactly do what our Lord is asking. Because either they didn't involve the bishops all together in, in a public act in their own cathedral diocese, uh, uh, cathedrals, or the Pope didn't mention Russia, or the Pope said, uh, you know, the consecration of the world. Pope Francis was even going to do one, and... I, he said like an entrustment or something like that. But you, your question was specifically the errors of Russia. Regarding communism and breakdown of the family. Like how, what part of it is, is perhaps Our Lady mentioning? Is it, is it the breakdown of the structure of the family in Russia? Or is it, is it the ideas of communism and how that breaks down society? Errors of Russia is sort of a blanket term which... Uh, the things that were happening in Russia were going to spread. And I, I believe errors of Russia have spread all the way around the world. Apostasy from the faith. Okay? 
many bishops and priests after the Second Vatican Council and the changes in church discipline at the time, um, they left, they left, like, was it 50,000, I think, left the priesthood. I think a lot of this is tied together, but the errors of Russia is not just one specific thing. Um, abortion, atheism, um, you know, many different intellectual errors. Um, but communism, to my understanding, has always been publicly, you know, in a sense, at war with the church, you know, against the faith, right? So I think the errors of Russia have spread all around us. And I think the attack on the family is a is, a, is an example of one of those, but I think it's 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 many errors. It's not just one single thing. Yes. So, this is all good and important, the truth. So I'm not against it. But my question is, is how do we utilize Fatima to minister to the families that are already broken? Can you repeat the question? How how can we use Our Lady of Fatima and the message and devotions, to, and and devotions to minister to families who are already broken and separated? Um, the Catholic Church has always taught that in a difficult marriage, the primary responsibility of the spouses is, is to try to fix the marriage. Okay, in a case where that's already not possible, well. I'm not going to say not ever possible, but who knows with the grace of God, right? But one of the things I think Our Lady of Fatima can do is, first of all, resistance to conversion is usually because a person's not praying. If a person begins to pray, they're open to the grace of God. If they cut off prayer, there's really no avenue there. So I think it starts at a very individual level with, with us sharing this devotion. It sort of will happen almost as a side effect where they will start to be open to, you know, maybe I had my part in this and maybe I need to go ask for forgiveness. I mean, you never know what the grace of God will do. But I think Our Lady of Fatima is something God is asking all Catholics to do because Pope John Paul II said it involves the entire world, essentially. And Pope Benedict said the prophecies have not concluded. You, if you think that, you're deceiving yourself. So at least we need to be getting to confession, let's say once a month, Doing the, doing the first Saturday devotion, praying the rosary every day, and, and practicing mental prayer more. And in particular, at least once a month, doing the five first Saturdays, spending 15 minutes of the rosary, meditating on the mysteries of the rosary. And, and, and why does she say that? Well, because the rosary is kind of a mini gospel. And if you spend med time in meditation on the gospel, that's, that's the way to holiness, right? Uh, outside of that, I don't have any specific comment other than to say that as long as we do our part, at some point in the future, the Pope will consecrate Russia with all the bishops, and, and that will change things. But I firmly believe it's not going to happen until the Pope does that, because that's what God, that's the answer God gave. The Pope Benedict asked for peace, and this was God's response. Consecrate Russia, practice five first Saturdays, and then a period of peace will come. Okay, thank you very much. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much for your patience. Veritas is sponsored by St. Joseph Morello Parish in Granite Bay, California, and St. Mel Parish in Fair Oaks, California. 
Learn more at catholicveritas.com.